0: Love, talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Blurb, where the back of a book meets a discerning look. Each week, best-selling author Sally Shields and publishing guru Dr. Kent listen to pitches from five authors vying for Book of the Week honors. Now live, on the air, with vigor and style, are Dr. Kent and Sally, the bibliophiles,
2: Hey
3: Sally Hey How are you Dr. Kent?
2: I'm doing well Actually no I've been hit by the pig This week
3: Oh gosh I had something like that too uh, Did you have a sore throat?
2: Yeah sore throat But I think I've already had it I think I'm getting it The second time around here Oh well, Let's talk well, about some better. blurbs I think I've got a good radio voice This week Nice <laughs> like I smoke a lot Or something or, or drink too much whiskey Even though I don't do either <laughs> but Let's, let's no. uh we, got so, we talk? I, I would
3: love to. I would love to just before we begin talk about that statistic that you sent me. I was I was oh, uh, yeah. amazed and um, this you know kind of overwhelmed by it, but not surprised. I would have to say not surprised.
2: I was dumbfounded. Five hundred sixty thousand books published last year.
3: You know, if I do a quick calculator, that's five hundred sixty thousand divided by three hundred sixty days of the year. Oh well, three sixty-five. That that's that's fifteen hundred books a
2: Day. Yeah, not only that. I mean, think about, uh, you know, well, how many books per hour? Okay, well, 20, okay, 24 Okay, let me divide
3: hours. that by 24. Okay. that yeah, means Like 800
2: books an hour, 700 well, books no, an hour? Well, no,
3: 64 books an hour.
2: Wait, 64? No, it's got to be more than that. It's 1,500 a day. 1,500 divided oh, yeah, by,
3: 64. maybe my calculator is wrong. <laughs> Good point.
2: Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're so right. Every
3: hour, every hour there's like 62 books being, it's, it's mind-blowing. book a minute. It's, oh, you That's, oh
2: my gosh, a book a minute, minute. (laughs) a book being published every minute, all right, yeah, we own that statistic, the public now knows, a book a minute was published last year, well, um, but it's an exciting show today, Uh, we're hosting Blurb, of course, and we're interested in the back of a book, just like most folks, you walk into Borders, you flip the book around, well, you're going to look at the cover first, we all judge the book by its cover, and then we flip it around, and we'll read that Blurb.
3: That's right. You gotta catch them in an instant. You gotta hook them. You gotta leave them. You gotta create curiosity, and you gotta solve a problem. Make them say, "Yeah, I need that book because that person has the answers to my problem."
2: Well, on the show today, we got some biographies, uh, which I think you find more exciting than some of our other categories.
3: <laughs> You're funny. You know me too well. <laughs>
2: Well, I think, you know, what, why is it that people like biographies so much? I think it's because, you know, I was obsessed with composer biographies uh, a long time ago. Well, not that long ago, a couple, what, 15 years ago. And and um, it's because you can sort of live through these characters. The great thing about biographies is you can step into their shoes.
3: It's it's really amazing. It just sucks you in, and, and it's, it's fascinating to learn about the details. And do you know that there's a statistic out there, speaking of statistics, that... Ninety percent, maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I've heard that that ninety percent of all books are ghost written
2: ninety percent huh
3: that's what I heard well, maybe it was applying to biographies i I really should check into that maybe, maybe it, some, like... it might
2: well, I would definitely uh believe it if it was like famous biographies. they probably don't consider you know these five hundred and sixty thousand books published, a lot of them are self published I'll bet you know most of those self-published ones are are just long rambling 700-page personal memoirs but uh and those were definitely written by people but in terms of the published ones out there by uh, about famous people for sure i believe it
3: yeah because um i've known personally known ghostwriters that have been uh you know sworn to secrecy they won't even you know they're not even allowed to say which books they've ghostwritten and it's it's all hush hush, but um, yeah, yeah the, a lot
2: of it's 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 actually the biography mafia. They'll come <laughs> and they'll they'll hunt you down. They'll put they'll put the, yeah soldiers outside your door. No,
3: but I would get I would guess I would venture out on a limb to guess that our blurb authors this week have written their own biographies. What do you? Think? I think so. Not that there's anything so. wrong with having a ghost-written book.
2: Well, actually, you know, ghost writing is is. Uh, it's it's a funny term because uh there are some true ghostwriters that actually write in somebody's voice and this and that but like when you look at uh you know the latest biography that just came out about uh Edward Kennedy, you know, a fascinating thing. Um it was edited by someone. Well, it used to be called Ghostwritten. You know, it's an autobiography written by Ted Kennedy, but really he just did a ton of interviews with his editor uh, who essentially is kind of a ghostwriter then? So the the the, blur, the blurred line between editor and ghostwriter is is uh, you know it depends on the case, but uh,
3: that's a very good point.
2: Yeah, I, I yeah, just and think which is
3: good because then the editor can get some real credibility and credit rather than just having to completely be anonymous and not have any kind of. You know, glory for having done it. That's true. You that can work. say that
2: you worked on the book, right? Well, and yeah. And most and most uh, well published books uh, had great editors behind them. So, but let's let's get to our blurbs. Uh, today's a bio- biography show, and we got five new blurbs. And then uh, Sally inter- interviews uh, Judith and Jim, the winners from last week. Tell us about them for a minute. Oh,
3: that was absolutely fabulous. Um, I didn't, I wasn't prepared, I don't have their bios up in front of me, and I'll be reading those later, but basically, they're they're heart-based marketers, their husband and wife team, been married for 21 years, and they run seminars and workshops, and they teach people how to market, um, you know, with the soft sell approach, you know, not everybody, you know, we we all get kind of intimidated when we see all those sales pages, and things that are going around the internet, and, and all of those harsh words, and, and, really hard sell tactics and buy now or you'll lose your chance you know all those kinds of things but they decided that they were going to go in a different direction and they've used their backgrounds as psychotherapists and and come up with a way to combine their business experience with their backgrounds as psychotherapists and they've combined they've come up with a really wonderful way to teach people how to how to market with with heart and and it's great for all of us artists out there because um uh, you know a lot of artists and writers are very sensitive and, and don 't gravitate well towards um, towards selling and you know a lot of people would rather swallow slithering snakes than go out there and promote themselves so it it kind of is nice because it gives it, it would, the message basically is that it 's your duty to go out there and let people know about your expertise because you have something in the world to share with people and it would be it would be a crime for you not to go out there and and help people and help people solve their problems so it's a shift in perception and it makes you realize that it's okay to go out there and be vocal about your expertise and be vocal about your book and be vocal about selling what you are good at selling and i I just thought it was a wonderful concept
2: and obviously they're good at selling themselves because their blurb was fantastic so they got the book of the week uh... uh, for last week and uh, that was a a, uh... was a business show wasn't it yes Okay, so this week is a biography show, a completely different bag of tricks. So let's listen to our first blurb. Uh, how about uh, let's listen to Elizabeth Fournier? Here's her biography blurb Blog
0: Talk Radio.
4: All Men Are Cremated Equal My 77 Blind Dates by mortician turned author Elizabeth Fournier is a laugh out loud memoir that captures the experience of being single, female, and fast approaching 40 still longing to find the one. Freshly on the rebound, Fournier makes a list of the ten qualities she is looking for in a man and forwards that list to her vast social network. She then ventures on 77 blind dates, letting her friends act as matchmakers in the Portland and San Francisco Bay Area dating scene. Throughout, Fournier also discusses her life in the funeral industry, from the workday tasks you've always wondered about to the more unusual aspects of the business. And for example, how do you tell your date that you're an undertaker? And how do you balance your social life with the living, with your professional responsibilities to the dead? Does it take to find love in this world? Is it luck, skill, or just plain stamina? And can it be found in 77 dates? Elizabeth Fournier found out, and so can you. Read all about it.
2: Well, I guess that was it. It was,
3: it was short. You know, it, it created curiosity, and that's what I liked about it. It 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 lacked a lot of the things that we do talk about on Blurb, and I'll let you go into that for a moment. Go ahead.
2: Well, sure. You, you let me be the negative guy. Okay, <laughs> okay. all right. No, I'll well, tell no, I'll I'm, told
3: about you what I do. No, but, the, but the,
2: first thing, the first thing I saw really, um you know, you know I'm always rubbed the wrong way by third person, if you're speaking your own Blurb.
3: Yeah, we it's, talked about that.
2: Yeah, for me it sounds, it seems like um you know, it's you're reading copy. It's not horrible. I mean she did it in a good way. but she had me with her um you know, the blind date. I actually uh, I wasn't completely surprised, so I don't I don't have a uh, the kind of reaction I should have. It's a great concept for a book, she was she was on my Sound Authors show, so I wasn't completely surprised by uh, her concept, but it's a fantastic concept. Um, yeah, why don't you go ahead?
3: Well, okay, well, I mean, I would have loved to hear the title of her book again. I mean, it it went by so fast, I I didn't even quite remember the title of her book. I don't know where we can buy the book. What about the website? Is there a website where we can find this book? Um, the, The thing I loved about it was it was very cute. You know, she went on 77 blind dates, and the way that she ended the blur was, was it luck, skill, or just plain stamina? You know, did she find love in 77 dates? It's almost like we don't know. We'd have to read the book to find out. And it left us with a sense of curiosity, which is one of the uh, techniques that you really need to do when you're dealing with the media. You want to leave them with curiosity. You want to create curiosity and, and leave them wanting more. So I, I really like that aspect of the blurb. But a few well, the, more.
2: Uh, yeah, the go ahead. Book, the book is called uh, All Men Are Cremated Equal. And oh. I think I mean, if she had said it a few more times, you know, it would be even better. It would stick in your head forever.
3: Oh, yes, because that's so funny.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: That's so funny. That's right. And then she kind of has to deal with the fact that she's an undertaker, and that's really funny.
2: Yeah, how often do you hear, you know, a, a comedy story from an undertaker? <laughs> exactly.
3: Oh. And and were you a, I I don't want you to reveal this, but did you find out on your sound author shows whether or not she did find love in 77 blind dates?
2: Um, I can't tell you that you have to go um you have to go check out that interview
3: oh I know well, i'm not going I just want to know if you did find out <laughs> or not. I didn't want you to tell me the answer
2: yeah I, I did find out yeah oh well, and, it's, really? and you know i mean honestly it's a fantastic book, and you know if if I was judging on books it's it's great, it's hysterical. what a concept um but on the blurb itself, you know i i think the I think that the power of the title, the power of that subtitle um it could have been a better blurb. <laughs>
3: yeah okay well, it could be worked on for sure um indeed so But I did, li- l- I did like the concept as well and i like i like the fact that she left us with uh with the with the curious um she she left creating curiosity which was was very very good
2: nice all right let's listen to uh, our next guy he's uh John paul Haynes and he's got another biography uh, uh blurb here here we go.
1: In Search of Simplicity is the extraordinary story of an ordinary man. It's my story. What would it take for that man, for me, to give up a successful and extremely promising corporate career? The story begins with a hijacking in Kashmir in northern India, while working as an advisor to Saudi Telecom outside the holy city of Medina when I wake from a spinal meningitis induced coma in Norway just in time to prevent a potentially lethal injection of penicillin I know I need to embark on a journey a journey in search of deeper understanding a journey in search of the answers to the most important questions in life a journey in search of simplicity and what a journey it was across the Nullarbar Desert in Australia, to touch my future home in New Zealand. Remarkable encounters with simple living villagers of the Trobriand Islands of Papua New Guinea. A spontaneous recovery from appendicitis in the south of China. To a dream come true, to visit the remarkable centenarians of the Hunza Valley of northern Pakistan. It is here that I encounter a ghost and observe huge beams of light coming from the mountains. There's more to the story. There's a near-death drowning during a canoe trip in northern Ontario. There's the meeting with my wife-to-be in Dharamsala in northern India. It is here, too, that I meet the extraordinary Tibetan doctor, Yeshi Donden, just when I needed him most. It's also here that the undeniable, almost unbelievable chain of coincidences sweeps me along, through a profound spiritual awakening, to a series of messages for me to begin a life of simplicity on the other side of the world, near Santa Fe, New Mexico. Join me on this journey, this search, that changed my life, perhaps it will change yours.
3: Paul sent. And he he's a really interesting guy. Really, really interesting guy. So I, you know, I was listening to the blurb sort of having had an introduction to him. Um and I find him absolutely fascinating. <clears throat> and this blurb was a mixture of almost like too many amazing things. It was like crazy. It was like spinal meningitis in coma in Norway and lethal injections of penicillin and Journeys in Australia and New Zealand, and the Totro Green Islands and getting appendicitis in China and the hunts of valleys in Pakistan and ghosts and beams of light from the mountains and a near death drowning in Ontario and back to India and a Tibetan doctor and all this ending up in Santa Fe New Mexico I mean it was like wild it was like almost like a fantasy movie like coming at you, so I it thought it was crazy.
2: Well, and there's so, I mean, in some of that, you know, um, you know, multicoloredness of the adventure, I think, you know, the difficult thing with biographies. Again, there's a book published every minute um, in the last year. There was a book published every minute. Um, to stand out from the crowd, I think, the biography has to really have a red thread. What? Why are you telling your story? I mean, I guess that's more of a memoir, but why, you know, are you some famous figure that's telling a biography? Okay, fine. It's the biography of blank, you know. But uh, why should you tell your biography? And he he definitely had a lot of that in there, but that's the problem. It was a lot about why he's telling the biography. I think the great thing about Elizabeth Fournier's uh, 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 blurb earlier was that it was very simple. You know, all men are cremated equals 77 blind dates. Very simple concept. Even a biography can have a simple concept. That's the that's the tricky thing when writing one, you know, um, and describing it. Honestly, it's more about describing it than writing it for this show.
3: Now I kind of got it, like right from from the, the very beginning when he first said his story was basically. And I like how I like how he posed a question. This is always a really, really, really enticing way to start a blur. But he started with a question, which is, what would it take? For this man to give up a successful and promising corporate career. And all of a sudden, you know, and the, the blurb ends with how he, uh, a search that has changed his life. So obviously but, it was about somebody's search for a more deeper inner life and a more meaningful life.
2: So, so I, I like, like that, but, but maybe it was too many details then.
3: Yeah, possibly. We're, we're
2: always fishing for more details, but maybe in this case it was too many. Possibly. Yeah. It, it, because was, it
3: was interesting.
2: Yeah, because you're you're right. I mean, if he had focused on, if he'd have said, uh, maybe re- even repeated a couple of times that, you know, this is the this is what um, has changed in his life. Because I I almost forgot about um, that he got out of corporate life um, because there were so many adventures that he listed or uh, whatever. Um, I, I I almost forgot about uh, the fact that the real point of the book, which is that he got out of the rat race for this.
3: Yeah. Now, the thing is that that was great about the book, I have to admit, is that there were so many things that left me curious. I mean, right after he talked about that first question, he talked about the hijacking in Medina, India, and there's so many different stories that he alluded to that were just so unbelievable, like the near-death drowning and, I mean, all, all these things that left me on the, on the edge of my seat. So I have to say that he did create a curiosity for me that was, um, that was definitely undeniable. So I, I liked that aspect of it a lot.
2: Cool. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, an an admirable blurb uh, and very exciting, uh, to say the least. So, let's listen to another one. Uh, um, Who do we have here? Kim Michelle Richardson. Uh, She's got another biography blurb. Uh, Let's listen to her and talk about it.
0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello, my name is Kim Michelle Richardson and I am the author of The Unbreakable Child, a story about forgiving the unforgivable. The Unbreakable Child is my memoir about growing up during the 1960s in a rural Roman Catholic orphanage in Kentucky, which was run by nuns and a priest. Tactfully hidden from polite society and prying eyes, decades of chilling horrors prevailed. The Unbreakable Child, in a weave present day with past where other children and myself suffered brutal childhood abuses. These abuses finally came to light in 2004 through a nationally recognized lawsuit initiated by attorney William S. McNair. This man of courage stepped forward in the cause of justice, and me and 44 former orphans, including my sisters, were the first in United States history to receive monetary settlement from a Roman Catholic order of nuns arising out of decades of institutional abuse. The Unbreakable Child mirrors the explosive story that recently shocked Europe, the release of Ireland's commissioned report of brutal abuses in church-run orphanages, schools. It also bookends this tragedy on the other side of the world with The Unbreakable Child, It is a gripping account, not just of horrific betrayal, but also of heroic recovery, and so that history never, ever repeats itself. The Unbreakable Child is a story that has yet to be told anywhere in the country.
2: Well, that was your, there's your least favorite phrase. However, in this case, I almost believe it.
3: I agree. I agree. Yes, let me just qualify that so the people out there know what I'm talking about. Usually the media never likes to hear in my book, or this is the first book of its kind, never been written about before, because usually speak. Usually, every single topic has been written about, and, and media usually rolls their eyes when they hear that, but in this case, I agree with you. I mean, this is an uncovered, uh, this is an uncovered history that has only been brought to light in the last five years. Right. And wow, what a courageous, courageous lady! My goodness, I, I was left with chills. And this is so important that she's writing this. I mean, this is like, obviously, we've heard about injustices with priests and nuns, and obviously, it's not a new a news story. We know that this happens in in um in in churches, but orphanages. This is something that people are not necessarily. Uh, familiar with and it's it's chilling and it's horrible and it's horrifying, but again, like she said, it, we need to bring this to light so that history does not repeat itself. Wow, what a courageous lady
2: so she she really created a a compulsion within you to to want to read her story
3: absolutely i i I would recommend this book. I would want to read this book um it It sounds like it's a hard and difficult read. It's not going to be an easy read. But um, sometimes the most important books uh, are not always the easiest to read.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think she did a good job of, you know, in a, in a very, uh, in a very objective way, of really uh, saying the title of her book several times. Um, she had a true red thread running through it. Um, we knew exactly what the book was about. Um, it was a biography, but it was uh, targeted, um, and. Uh, It'll hit its audience. You know, I, I probably wouldn't tend to pick it up, but I find it interesting, and I might, uh, you know, uh, spend a, a few minutes actually reading the back of the book. Or, or if I was standing in Borders, I'd, I'd pick it up and scan through the, the beginning of it. I think the media would be interested; they would write an article about it. Um, she's definitely yes, this, creating the interest.
3: This is this this is the type of book where where Kim could a- absolutely become the spokesperson. For this type of of situation, and she could be the real go to expert and create a, a big buzz around this. And um, um, I would like to see that happen.
2: Cool. All right. Well, and 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 you've you've done something like that. Uh, you've become an expert in in a certain part of it. What's the importance of becoming an expert? Well,
3: as an author, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, there there's a book a minute being published that that calculates to about. Uh, 550,000 books a year. So what is an author to do in order to make a difference in the world or stand out or become, a, become somebody that can actually make a living as, as, with their book? And one of the ways that you can do that is to actually become an expert and use your book as a calling card to then become um, a go-to person from the media and create uh, you know So that you can become a source for the media, and your book is used as a calling card, and then you can sort of transition to speaking engagements and going out and doing workshops or tele- te- seminars or uh, conferences and things of that nature, and basically expand yourself and use your book to teach others and and maybe even transition into coaching and and possibly counseling for Kim. And so the the book, you know, to become an expert, once you've written a book, you become an expert in essence because once you've written the book, you are an expert. And that's what I want people who have written a book to really get into their heads. You are an expert. And you say, what do you mean I'm an expert? Yes, you're an expert because you wrote the book and you're an expert because you say you're an expert. So you just have to really get comfortable with the concept that you are an expert. And once you sort of embrace that, you can really go, go out there and really get a lot of great publicity, free publicity, from a lot of national sources. And um, that's one of the things, one of the joys that I've had after learning this is teaching other authors how to do this. And it's just a matter of perception switch. It's like, don't be shy. Even if you're a first-time author, you can, you can make that switch in your mind and tell yourself, yes, I am an expert. I wrote this book, and I am an expert. And once you do that, getting free publicity becomes a lot easier.
2: Well, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're experts on blurbs, i got to say. You know, we've uh, created this fun little niche here on Blog Talk Radio, and I love that word blurb. I, at first I was a little bit uh, <clears throat> excuse me, hesitant about it, but for some reason I've grown into it. I think blurb is a very mature and exciting uh, word. What, what, what does it mean to you?
3: Well you know it's interesting because as as people who have might have been tuning into the show previously know that um I, I was an expert on elevator pitches okay that's that's basically the the abbreviated blurb, the five to ten to fifteen second speech that if you were to meet Oprah or uh, Dr. Phil or uh, Steven Spielberg in an elevator and you had fifteen seconds to tell them who you are and what you were all about, that's what I'm an expert in. so to all of a sudden have these three-minute blurbs, I was kind of overwhelmed. I was like, oh, my God, this is like the Ph.D. Uh, thesis of, of elevator speeches. So I didn't really know what to do, <laughs> what to make of it. Like, how are people going to talk about their book for three minutes? This is ridiculous. But um, I've been learning a lot on this show. And it's interesting because there's a fine line between rambling on too much and, uh, you know, being too brief. So it's really, I think, the perfect balance to, to be able to uh, cap. Capitalize on finding out what the essence of your book is and being able to condense it down into into a nice three minute pitch.
2: So let's listen to Norma Pimenta. She's our next blurb today on the Biography Blurb Show. Here we go.
0: Blog Talk Radio.
5: Hi, my name is Norma Pimenta, and I'm the author of a memoir called Cheer- "Smiling Eyes: A Cheerleading Coach's Personal Victory." After so many years of being encouraged by my doctors to write about a horrific and bizarre accident at a local tractor-pulling show that I was involved in, I one day decided to do something about it. However, with so many great stories to tell about my years of coaching cheerleaders, I decided I would rather write about them. So I did. In that journey of coaching, however, is the year of the accident, the year of recovery, and I'll tell you how I returned to coaching while healing my injured body. It took a lot of desire and a dedicated husband to help in moving forward and taking my team to the international level of competition. After a few more years at the junior level of coaching, I earned my way into a cheerleading coach's position at the local high school for an experience of a lifetime. I will take you through the six-year journey from hometown competition up to the national level. While facing challenges of my own that paralleled those of my team and never having been a cheerleader before, I learned what it takes to be a great coach and take my team to a competitive level. Not only will you read about how hard we work to achieve our goals, and we'll also read about some of the bizarre challenges the team faced. Have you ever heard about arriving at an airport and finding out your tickets were no good? We have. Have you ever been so excited about coming in third place that in all your excitement, you never heard who came in second or first? We have. And did you ever arrive at competition and find out one of the members of your team won't be there due to sickness? We did. You, the reader, will find yourself rooting for the team and the coach as one episode after another is challenged and brought to new heights. After six years at the high school, I gave up my coaching position to tend to family needs. One year later, and unsure of my decision to retire from coaching, I returned for one more triumphant year. The following year... My own daughters follow in their mother's footsteps and coach a young team of their own. The reader will now follow the six-year journey of cheerleading memoirs created by this team. And as the team grows, so do the coaches who become wives and mothers. The final year will bring the story full circle when the end of a second generation of cheerleading coaches puts a hold on their coaching careers to have babies of their own in the final days of a grandmother who was an inspiration to all. Although the story is filled with tales and struggle and triumph for cheerleading teams involved, it is also filled with tales about a family of strong and determined women and will hopefully encourage the reader to move forward even when you think you can.
2: Well, an interesting blurb. Um, she used all of her time.
3: Indeed. Indeed.
2: Um, it was also a very uh, targeted blurb, which is great. Um, um, I don't have much more to say. I think it was it was uh, well put together.
6: I think
3: so, too. I mean, it was very, very clear. I, I didn't get the title of her book. Was it Cheerleading Memoirs?
2: Um, I didn't get it either.
3: Yeah, I didn't get the title of her book. I know that the subtitle was something like A Cheerleading Coach's Personal Victory. I also did not get... She described that she had a horrific and bizarre accident, but then she sort of mumbled what that was something like a tractor i couldn't understand what exactly the accident had to do with did you catch that It
2: was something pretty bad yeah
3: i know but was it did she she mentioned what it was and then i couldn't really understand uh,
2: i think it might have been a tractor accident but I, I, it was um it definitely overshadowed a lot of the book it, it might be a detail that you might want to uh you know um Mellow out a little, or say in a different way, because I, we were, you know, I was more excited about the accident as a reader, you know, wanting to know how she overcame it.
3: Right, exactly. Well, she did say that she spent a year recovering and and how she returned to coaching. Maybe, maybe there was a whole chapter uh, dedicated to that. But um, I, I felt that it was it was clear, and you know, we had we had distilled our criteria down into four categories when we first decided. Well, how are we going to judge these blurbs? You know, we have to be fair. And um, we came up with, it was kind of funny, because I had emailed Kent, like, you know, pages and pages of criteria, and he emailed me back, he said, I'm a man of brevity, how's bling, clarity, information, and delivery? (laughs) And it just cracked me up. So that actually um, were, are the four different criteria that we use to uh, to judge these blurbs by. And I think that she had clarity. She had a lot of information. She delivered it well. Maybe, um, it, you know, it doesn't always have to have a lot of bling, but I think she did well pretty much in all of the categories. I, I found it an interesting story, and I would absolutely pick up the book.
2: Absolutely. So let's listen to our last blurb of the day uh, by Pamela Cope. Again, a biography blurb. Here we go. Hmm.
7: Gift is a personal account of my journey through grief, rescue, and grace. I wrote the memoir over a period of two years with talented author Amy Malloy. My world was turned upside down in 1999 when my beautiful 15-year-old son Jansen died suddenly and unexpectedly of an undetected heart ailment. To recover from the grief I felt, I took a trip with my husband Randy and my daughter Krista to Vietnam during Thanksgiving the same year that Jansen died. The three of us fell in love with the people there, but also noticed the huge problem of children being sold into slavery. We decided to do something and the Touch of Life Foundation was born. The organization which which seeks to eradicate child slavery and empower children in need took off and we began providing shelter, food, clothing, and education for Vietnamese children. Since we began our work in 2000, we have taken over 250 Vietnamese children into our care. Our work eventually spread to Cambodia, the country that neighbors Vietnam and that also has a high rate of child trafficking. In 2006, our work began to take a new form. After reading a New York Times article about Mark Quadro, a six-year-old slave on Lake Volta in northern Ghana, Touch of Life began working in Africa to end child trafficking. With the help of Ghanaian volunteer George Archibra, we began rescuing children off of the lake where they were sold by their parents to fishermen for as little as twenty dollars. We initially sent the children to a Ghanaian orphanage to receive the care and education they needed. As our program expanded, we began building our own homes and schools for the children. In two and a half years, Touch Life has rescued over fifty children from Lake Volta's dangerous waters. I had no background in nonprofit work, I had never studied human trafficking, and for goodness sake I hardly even knew where Vietnam or Ghana were on a map. So Jansen's gift isn't a story of having it all together, of having the right background, of needing a particular education or career path to change the world. Instead, Jansen's gift is a story of empowerment. It is a story of taking chances, of trying new things, of surrendering pride, and of moving forward. It is a story of turning grief into
2: life. Well, it's an interesting blurb Uh, in many ways. I think, um, I wish she would have had something like what was at the end, at the very beginning. Hmm. Because it was such, I mean, obviously it's a moving memoir. Obviously she runs an amazing organization. Um, I'm in awe of that. Um, I think there were so many details that, that had different stories, different tacks, that, if she had at the very beginning told us uh, what we were going to expect, which is this uh, inspirational tale, um, I, I, I felt sort of tossed back and forth. What's this book going to be about? Is it going to be about the adoptions? Is it going to be about her? Is it going to be about... So I, I um, it would have helped me to have that sort of summary up up front.
3: Interesting. I kind of had a different a different reaction to it, and this is good that we, we have these different reactions. Maybe it's a uh, male-female way of looking at things, I'm not sure. I mean, they're both both absolutely good because we can, you know, help Pamela to create something that will be even more, po- you know, uh, powerful when she approaches the media. But I, I, I was absolutely riveted from, from the minute she started speaking. And, you know, as a mother myself, obviously, as soon as she told me that her son had passed away, I was riveted. And I, I thought to myself, how did she go on? How did she possibly... Go on, and just to hear about that, she took this incredible grief, took a trip with her husband. You know, a lot of a lot of um, times the death of a child will will break apart a, a family, and she and her husband took a took a um, took a trip, and they found they found this these horrific things going on, and they decided to change the world. They sheltered over two hundred fifty thousand Vietnamese children. Uh, they they they're now. Ending child trafficking, they're rescuing children uh, They have uh, started a nonprofit. To me it was a very, very clearly threaded story And it started off with the grief of, of a child dying And then it ended up with this incredible gift Thus the name of the book, I think it's called Jason's Gift And how they turned that into this most powerful uh, nonprofit, And how they are absolutely saving lives and children And I was absolutely moved and touched by the entire blurb and so i had a really really positive reaction to the to the um to to her blurb basically
2: good well and i and i think i and i i definitely was moved by the story there's no question and i right. i'm i'm separating from, from my i'm i'm separating um the story from the um uh the blurb and i i the story was incredibly moving i i hope it was written in a way that can get out there to the world because it's it's a beautiful uh it's a beautiful story. Um but again I I didn't feel that there was a um, uh, you know there's a way to talk about, you know, um, um when she talked about her son's passing, you know, almost to tell us, you know, there's uh you know we, we talked about the elevator pitch at the beginning of your blurb. Right. We didn't have that here. we didn't have the uh the whole nutshell up front when you read a New York Times article. The first sentence is tells you what's going what it's gonna give you the whole time that's that's what I was missing and if she if she put that in place, I mean it forget about it. She could be on any show and and anywhere
3: well okay yeah, I see your point i mean it could could've been stronger at the beginning by letting us know. Exactly what the you know what what she was an expert in, who she was, the organization that she works for, and then basically doubled back and gone from there. That would have been a really good good way to do it as well.
2: Well, see, my take on it is like, let's say she approached um, Ellen or Oprah or somebody big like that, and said, um, you know, uh, and and did it exactly this way. I, I think that they would be turned off, even though it's a, a moving story. If she's able up front to say, um, you know, in some way this is a story about losing a child, um, um, you know, going off to find answers and ending up, you know, creating a nonprofit that shelters children all around the world. Something, I, I'm i not good at that, but something where, oh, wow, I need to hear more, and then go ahead and explain
3: Good point. Very good point. Exactly. Rather than it took us till maybe the end of the second minute to find out what exactly the outcome was.
2: Right, but it was absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I think you could almost say you know the, one of the most powerful stories we've heard on blurb you know this whole time.
3: Yeah, the last the last two. I mean, between Kim's uh, um, you know unbreakable child and and Pamela's uh, Jason's gift. My goodness, I, I have
0: to agree with you there.
2: Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> what we're judging on blurb is not just the story; it's the blurb itself. So um, those tuning in, it's it's a, it's a fun uh, combination. We often get super angry emails from authors that have been featured. We often get just glowing emails from authors. It's it's all about uh, you know we try to give our criticism with a little bit of praise, uh, but it's it's about how do you approach the media? How how could you do better?
3: Exactly. We're here to help.
2: So let's let's listen to. Uh, we're going to have to cut it off a little bit because uh, we've only got about seventeen minutes left. But uh, Sally had a chance to talk to the winning authors from last week, right?
6: Yes, yes, Judith
3: and Jim, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. They they pronounce it themselves on on the interview, so <laughs> I don't want to mess it up here.
2: But okay, so if, let's let's listen in. Uh, Sally talked to them this week about their their book and uh, their movement, and uh, here we go. It's an interview with. Judith and Jim, the winners of last week's uh, Blurb of the Week. Here we go.
3: Judith and Jim, are you there?
6: We are. we are.
3: Oh, this is great. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you both for becoming our Blurb winners. This was our 19th week. And, wow, we were absolutely... Blown away by your blurb and obviously you both have <laughs> extensive backgrounds in marketing and we could tell that right away and Dr. Kent was uh, duly impressed. he thought it was the best blurb that we've heard to date. and so we were absolutely thrilled to uh, to have you on and this is a pre-recorded interview uh, just so folks out there who are listening to this now and um, I just want to get right into it and start asking you guys questions because this book of yours is really, really going to help a lot of people. And um, first of all, I'd just like to just to read a little bit about your your bio, your intro. Judith Chevron, PhD, and Jim. Please explain to me how you pronounce that.
8: It's Judith Shervin and Jim Snikowski.
3: Beautiful. Thank you. PhDs, both PhDs, are best-selling husband and wife psychology team and the leading voice for soft sell, soft sell, heart-based marketing. Their produce... Their, their products. Is that right? Oh, sorry. Uh, This is very early in the morning for me. (laughs) um, But not as early as for you. They produce the only Internet marketing conference for the soft sell community, Bridging Heart and Marketing, and their Soft Sell Marketers Association is an international hub for the soft sell training and support. Their latest book is The Heart of Marketing, Love Your Customers and They Will Love You Back, Morgan James Publishing, May of 2009. As guest experts, they've been on over 1,500 television and radio shows, including Oprah, The View, 48 Hours, CNN, and Canada AM. Judith and Jim are committed to bringing consciousness and conscience, caring, and connection into the heartbeat of commerce around the world. And with that, Judith and Jim, we welcome you to the show. Thank
4: Thank you, Sally.
3: So I really appreciate you getting up this early because you guys are based on the West Coast. And, and since um, I explained that I have to pick up my son at 11.30, this was very kind of you to come out this early.
6: Our pleasure. And we we are <laughs> delighted to be with you and we're delighted to have submitted the best blurb you have ever had.
3: Well, this is fascinating because you have combined marketing and and um, heart into one. And I'm going to, the first question that I'm going to ask you is that I understand the two of you came to write this book, The Heart of Marketing, after traveling a very circuitous path. Please tell me what happened.
6: Well, briefly, Sally, we came from being psychotherapists and best-selling authors of four relationship books into online marketing just four years ago in 2005. And we had no marketing experience, no sales experience, no Internet computer technology expertise at all. And we were in our early 60s. And we were faced with having to learn all these new skills. But what stood out to us was that the marketing voice, online and offline too, was very harsh, very much hard line, bottom line profit-driven, uh, combat-oriented language, explosive profits, beat out your competition. We came across sales pages that would end with things like, you're really stupid if you don't get this offer. It was- I can
3: totally relate to that. I, I also came to this online marketing world about two years ago and was also very intimidated by the copy that was used in some of these sales pages. And the courses that they teach you encourage you to use those types of words and it seems to be from the marketing, uh, 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 I guess the, the statistics, they came up with a set of words that seem to work, but they don't always resonate with those of us that sort of maybe come with an artistic heart.
6: Oh, ex- exactly. Reason. And and what I think we also have to really pay attention to is that it is that hard sell uh, self-profit-oriented point of view that has gotten us into this current economic mess because you can't sell mortgages to people who can't afford them unless all you're doing is blindly going after profit. And we are, Jim and I, are committed through our book, The Heart of Marketing, Love Your Customers and They Will Love You Back. That's the subtitle, Love Your Customers and They Will Love You Back so that we can help change the voice of commerce to be helpful to the buyer and the seller so that no one loses out and so that we can change what's going on in economics around the world. But I just want to just double back in terms of your question of how how did we get here. We kept talking to people like you, people who were service providers of all kinds, who couldn't stomach that kind of hard sell. And so Jim and I produced our first Bridging Heart and Marketing Conference last year, February 08. We're about to produce our third in October of this, right now, uh, as a virtual conference. And people can check that out at bridgingheartandmarketing.com because it's very reasonably priced and it is virtual. And then we started our Soft Cell Marketers Association to train service providers in heart based marketing. And our book that you have. Uh, very kindly uh, given us our our, uh, Blurb Radio Award, uh, is the heart of marketing. Love your customers and they will love your back. We are so excited about this becoming actually a movement around the globe of people saying, yes, 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 this is the way commerce has to go. And so we uh, thank you for for, uh, helping us get the word out.
3: Well, I would like to commend you both because something I'd like to mention and to talk to all of those authors out there that are trying to learn about marketing and how they can be better successful uh, authors these days is that what Judith and Jim have done is that they've used their book sort of as a calling card to then become coaches and seminar leaders. And this is the kind of thing that we learn when we study um, how to become a more successful author. What we realize is that, you know, it's very, very difficult to make a living as an author from just your book. We've all learned the hard way. You know, we all have stars in our eyes when we hear about, you know, those Harry Potter sales and, um, of course, all the Deepak Chopra and all, and all of the, the authors that we admire and how many books they sell. But for the for the rest of us, even if we are well-known and, and successful it's very, very difficult in terms of book sales to make a living. So so what, what Judith and Jim have done, what you two have done, is taken your expertise and used your book to, to gain the credibility. Obviously, you had credibility as professionals before. It even upped your credibility even more to create these books, and then you've, then you've uh, catapulted that into a series of seminars and workshops, and that is fabulous because that really is where you can help the most people and also uh, be able to... Um, Create an income for yourselves that will allow you to continue to do the work that uh, that you love.
8: Precisely right, and that is uh, that is that uh, the book is. If, you're right. There, the the number of authors living from their writing is so tiny. And you're right, we hear about the big deal successes, but we don't hear about the many, many, many authors who do not make a living. And so what you can do is use the books as a launch pad to let people know who you are and then go out and do do ancillary projects, like as you said, workshops, etc., that can actually generate a living for you. But if you don't hit an Oprah, for example, and she says, Buy this book and there's also a myth about oprah if oprah if you go on the oprah show and you have a book but she doesn't mention it or she doesn't recommend it very little happens and everybody thinks all you have to do is get on oprah and everything happens it's not true that's the same for o'reilly factor that's the same for the view that's the same for the msnbc news programs it's if the book is not mentioned and and praised directly very little happens and so to be able to use the book as a calling card for much, much of the much else that you do is really critical, and authors really, really need to understand that.
3: That's true. And just my personal curiosity, could I please ask you about your experience, since it says in your bio that you were on Oprah?
8: Yes, I was on uh, Oprah. Uh, not Judith, I was on Oprah alone. And I will say to you that Oprah is... Is really the best. She 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 deserves what people give her in terms of acclaim, and she is there. She's present, but you, you understand when you get to a show like that, uh, you don't see the host until the show starts because she's off alone. Can you imagine if if she allowed herself to be uh, available to the guests? Everybody would want things from her, or autograph or whatever. So you don't see her. And Oprah has an incredible capacity to manage an audience. She really knows how to run the show for the audience's sake. And that's, of course, what makes her so powerful. And she's really a fine woman. When she speaks to you, she looks you right in the eye. And she, she, she it's not that she gives you the impression that she's actually listening. A lot of hosts don't. She actually is listening. So it's not an impression, it's a fact. So it was a pleasure to be with Oprah.
3: Oh, that's just wonderful. And at the time, had went, had you written this book?
8: Oh, no, no, no. This mentioned? was long okay. before we wrote this book, and uh, and I was there in support of someone else's book. And uh, it's a long story, but no, it was well before this book.
3: Okay. Yeah, that's that's amazing because yeah, people do have a preconceived notion, and that was right on the money. That even if you get on Oprah, and I've even heard stories about people that have gotten on Oprah, and the book was mentioned, and it still didn't go anywhere. So uh-huh, uh-huh. It's, when people think about, you know, okay, I just need to get on Oprah, that's a misconception. There oh, it's a,
6: it's a tremendous yeah. misconception, exactly. And 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 book promotion isn't uh, you know different than anything else. It's a matter of getting the word out to as many people as possible who who you know find it important for instance we're delighted that you are giving exposure to our book the heart of marketing to authors because most authors don't have a background in marketing and yet once you have a book in hand what do you have to do next you have to market it but certainly Jim and I had to learn that the hard way we didn't know that at all so uh, we, we have now learned it, and we want to pass that on to authors. And, and our book is a wonderful book for authors because it is supportive of them marketing from their heart rather than any kind of hammering way of going about it.
3: Oh, that's just fantastic, and just something of my own curiosity, once again, I'd love to know a little bit more, and this would, I think, help our listeners as well. When we talk about, you know, doing a seminar or doing a workshop, you know, that all sounds very, you know, okay, great, do a seminar, but there is a lot involved in putting together a workshop or a seminar. Can you talk a little bit about the process of that?
8: Well, you have to, first of all, you have to have a seminar that's worth attending, so on the assumption that that's the case, because if we go off into how to put, put together a seminar that's worth attending, we'll start talking about seminar construction, and that's not your question. Right. So we assume that your seminar is worth attending. So that's where you start. Now, you have to put together the venue. So there is, there is the hotel or the space that you're going to invite people to, and then what do you provide them inside the space physically. What kind of ambiance? What kind of environment are you providing them? Will you providing them? Will you provide them with food or will you provide them with coffee? There are all kinds of details. And then when you're doing the seminar, or do you want it audio? Do you want it audio recorded? Do you want it video recorded? That all has to be taken into consideration. And then that's all something that any anyone can do with a little effort and focus. The hard part is getting people to come to the seminar. Right. That's and what, also,
3: in terms of the seminar length, is it a three-hour seminar or is it a two-day seminar? That all depends.
8: I mean, that can, it can be as short as an hour and it could be as long as a week. I mean, that all depends on what you're offering and your ability to get people to come. Exactly. You know, the movie, that's, Field, that's the trick. The, the movie, The Field of Dreams, uh, the, the line from The Field of Dreams was, if you build it, they will come. That is completely misleading in yeah, terms of the real with you. world. I agree if so you build how did you
3: two get people to come to your seminars?
6: Well, when when we uh, did our first bridging heart and marketing conference, because that's really the the conference that uh, was the largest event we've put on. We have our own online list of people that are, are, are you know, in our list community, and certainly a goodly number of people came from our online list. So, of course, you're going, speaking to anybody who's listening, you're going to start with the people who are already following you and interested in what you're doing. Then we had speakers speak for our conference uh, on their specialties, So that's one of the ways that you can help bring people into your event is have other people present along with you and uh, make one of the requirements that they promote the event to their online list people and their community for a a percentage. You want to give them an affiliate commission for the people that they book from their list. And then you want to do the same thing with your colleagues who are in related fields who would be happy to promote uh, your event to them those exactly. are Yes. Those are, are you know, ways to do it. Also speaking at other people's events, if you can get booked at other people's events, people who are already at live events are the kind of people who want to go to more live events. They like it. they enjoy it. they gain uh, a lot of benefit from it. And so when you can promote to those people your upcoming event, that is one of the ways that we got a lot of people. Uh, who came to our our conference, and uh, also radio interviews, press releases. You want to reach out as far as you can to all of the connections you have to get the word out about your event and about the benefits of coming to your event. Now, had
3: you two thought about any kind of uh, corporate sponsorships? These are all sorts of things that, you know, authors who are just getting into this business, I would like people to know that those kinds of things are available, you know, affiliate marketing, all these buzzwords that people might not be familiar with. That's getting other people to promote to their list for a percentage of your workshop or your your product, as well as trying to perhaps get a corporation to sponsor your event. Uh, Perhaps they will... Give you money in exchange for um, you, you know, having your name on a, on a having their name on a lanyard or any kind of thing that you can think of. Maybe they'll uh, contribute some kind of um, uh, keychain holder giveaway or something just to promote their, their particular company. So there's also that kind of support that that authors can think about when they are putting together a seminar or a conference or workshop. Did you?
2: All right, Sally. Well, that was a great interview. We got about twenty seconds left on the show, and people can find out more about Judith and Jim that won the contest this week uh, at theheartofmarketing.com.
3: Indeed, and and you know, maybe for those listening, can they download the entire interview, or will that also be will that be available?
2: Um, I We can make it available somewhere, possibly. Um, if
3: anyone's interested, please just contact us and we can get you the, the rest of the interview.
2: Exactly. Well, have a great week, Sally, and we'll talk to you very soon.
3: Sounds great. Dr. Kent, talk to you later.
2: And everybody Bye. write great blurbs for us.
3: <laughs> Bye.